When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. to Secure the Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seifert, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. Now, my guest this week, this is a part two. We've never done a part two on Security and Secure before, but there's just the most incredible, incredible, incredible woman that I spoke to last week that you'd have heard. And I had to speak to her more because we literally didn't even skim the surface. We got basically 20 years to still find out what has happened in her life. I'm delighted to welcome back a place in the sun's Leah Charles King. Hello, Leah. Hello, you again. I feel very privileged, you know. You sh- well, you should do because we've got 20 years to still get through. <laughs> Six. Well, did you say in extra parts after this? Um, hilarious. No, no, honestly, I feel very privileged that we are doing a part two for the first time ever on the history of your podcast. It's unbelievable. But you're right, we hadn't even skimmed the surface because you see, my life, I kind of see it as before bipolar and after bipolar, so A, B, and B, B. <laughs> Bit like Jesus, but not. <laughs> so we, well, so we're gonna, because we need to get to you doing late night TV. Where does BB stop, and where does AB stop? Right. So let's say before bipolar would have been up until my shopping TV days. So then, where we left off was after I'd done the kids, and then I was in the wilderness for a bit, doing all the sort of some of the quiz shows, do you remember the late night quiz shows that were going on across all the channels at one stage? You know, like you mentioned Quizmania and things like that. I did Big Game TV. And then I went on to go behind the scenes and produce the shopping channels for a while. So I was producing like Bid TV and, and Speed Auction and things like that. And then I was diagnosed officially with bipolar after that. So it wasn't until a year after being officially diagnosed with bipolar that I then got jackpot 24-7. And I was, I was hosting jackpot at some points, either very high, which kind of suited late night telly anyway, let's face it. And I mean high by the mania, the manic side of bipolar, by the way, for anyone listening. It wasn't just 
I wasn't out there just like taking drugs or anything like that. Um, it was the high of mania of bipolar. There were times when I hosted that show completely suicidal as well. Nobody would know. Sometimes they were my best shows. Were they your best shows because you had a focus away from you? You were distracted. I needed a distraction. That job helped me in so many ways, honestly, because at that point, I thought it was over for me, like I said. And I know it was late night, casino. It wasn't going to blow anyone out of the water. It wasn't anything that was super important to anyone, but it was to me because I needed it. And actually being on the, on the show, it developed me in front of a, a new audience, actually, who really warmed to me. And they started calling themselves the Kingalings. I'm Leah Charles King. They called themselves the Kingalings. <laughs> and these people would be like all these types of people. And I learned about them over the years, over the six and a half years that I was hosting Jackpot. They were people who also had mental illness. They were people who were maybe unwell. They were people who were struggling through life. They were people who were insomniacs. They were people who maybe liked to party and come back and watch me. They were people who were working late. They were mothers who were nursing their kids. It was all types of people, but we all seemed to have one thing in common. And that was that sometimes our moods, our, whether it be depression or whatever it was, kept us awake. And we were all here at midnight watching this show. And I so happened to be the face of, you know, whatever day I was, I'd be hosting it. But you see, they didn't know about me. They didn't know that I was holding this secret that I suffered depression and that actually I'd, I'd been diagnosed with bipolar and that I was very ill because these were the years where I didn't tell a soul. I didn't tell anyone. I was so embarrassed. And I thought who would work with me? the people behind Jackpot 24-7, they'd never work with me if they knew I was unwell. But that gig, oh my God, no matter how ill I was, no matter how depressed, suicidal, whatever it was, I would, I never called in sick for it. Not once in six and a half years did I ever call in sick. I got up, I was present, I put on my sequin dress or my sequin gown, as my, one of my producers would say. I'd get into full drag, as I say, and I would go out there and I would do what I had to do. And there were some days where it was painful. Inside, I was in pain. I mean, mental torture pain. Like, I'd be stood up in front of the camera, presenting, it's all live, unscripted, unrehearsed. You just do it, two and a half, three hours of live telly. And I'd be doing it and all the messages would be flying in. Leah, you look so great today. Oh my gosh, you're making me laugh. Oh, you're so entertaining. I love your dress. Where's it from? You look beautiful. You know, all the wonderful stuff, all the wonderful stuff. But inside, there were times where I could barely stand. And when that wheel would go to spin, I'd be on the wings or in the wings, just holding onto the wall, just trying to breathe, just trying to stand. Okay, okay, Leah, you could do this. There's another two hours now. There's another hour and a half. There's another hour and 15 minutes. And I just count it down like that. And then I'd get back in the car on the way home and I would cry and cry and cry and cry and reason with myself as to why tonight shouldn't be the night that I should take my life. The Samaritan's a great place to go if you're 
affected by what you hear in today's episode, samaritans.org.uk or call them on 116123. That's samaritans.org.uk or call them on 116123. The thing about... Thank late- you. Can I, can I, sorry, um, Johnny, can I also just add as well, Bipolar UK have loads of great resources. If, if anything to do with bipolar as well, they're the only charity that focuses solely on bipolar. They've got some great forums, chat rooms, loads of helplines as well peer support groups i'm an ambassador for bipolar uk as well so a very proud one so um please do check them out if you need to and thank you for sharing that samaritan's number johnny people don't want to ask for help it's very very hard to ask mm. for help. those people are there you know it's volunteers who are there ready to speak to you if you need if you need it mm. oh we're, we're not bad enough there's no such thing as we're not worse enough than someone else so bipoluk.org is the website to go on as well as the samaritans um i want to talk about late night tv because you know, late night TV, a lot of people listening might not have been aware of it. And it was such a magical time because people know about, you know, Steve Allen on the LBC who starts at 4am. And people know about going to bed at 10pm. Between 10pm and 4am, ITV had ITV Play, which had, like we said, Quizmania and The Mint. And you had Big Game, you had Quiz Call, you had all these quiz shows. And then there was a big scandal and they all got shut down. Uh, you know, mm. they asked their phones for hours and hours and hours. And uh, the guesses of the games you just wouldn't guess because they were so obscure and then jackpot 24 7 came in and it was amazing because you had some of the best presenters of those quiz shows like alex kramer and jeff brazier liam dolan jamie ricker sergeant crawford they all joined yourself and you hosted this game and it was just you were a friend because although people weren't knowing the inside of you they still felt like they knew you because they were there for you. You know, they were up late at night watching you as a friend because, as you said, they might have been insomniac, they might have had mental health issues, but also they might have just wanted a voice in their ear to go to sleep with, or mm. yeah, they're not alone. Do you know what? You're so spot on. And that's what I really realised. And so this movement and this group, like I said, they called themselves the Kingalings, and they, they joined together, and many of them became real friends in real life and actually was supporting each other through stuff. And that all came from me, somebody who's actually stood there suffering just like them, but was hiding it. And I'd look at them and think, gosh, you guys think I'm helping you because they'd say, you're such an inspiration. Like you say, you're just in my ear. I I feel like you're talking to me, Leah. I feel like it's just me and you awake in the whole world. And I think you guys don't even know how much you're helping me. Because every single tweet, every single message, every DM that you send me just makes me go, do you know what, somebody, somebody cares right now. And obviously depression, mental illness, it could be a very lonely place. You feel very much alone. You feel very much like it's just you. Sometimes it's just you going through life struggles. And um, those are the little things that really kept me going. And so fast forward, years down the line when I did come out as I put it and I went public with my diagnosis it was a shock to a lot of people it was a big shock to a lot of people but then I saw how inspiring it was to other people as well and that let me know that although it was very uncomfortable and unnatural for me to share mental health diagnosis because like culturally and just the industry and just everything it's like oh no 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 I can't do that actually it was the most empowering thing I did and that is where everything becomes after bipolar because I started living in my authentic self but equally still learning about myself and developing 
it's taken me a long time to get to this spot now where I'm talking with you. I bet, I bet. And, it, you know, it, it was around the same time that Stephen Fry came out and did a documentary about 2005, 2006. Yeah. And so depression was the big thing when it came to mental health. And, it, and anxiety didn't really ever become a popular topic, if I can use those words, till about mm. And then you've got mm. bipolar And bipolar, for me, the only way I can relate to it is Gene Slater on EastEnders. And, uh, you know, a character on a soap opera who had signs. Obviously, the actress, Gillian Wright, doesn't have bipolar, but Gene Slater does on the show. And so that's how I identify with it. But we haven't got a pool of celebrities who are outspoken about it. And so we're still only just, in the past five years or so, talking about mental health. And bipolar yeah. is just starting to get on that spectrum. But now what's happened is, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like there's a pendulum and almost there's a time, and especially around Love Island in particular, that there's contestants or the audience who would all come out with a bad one and say, yeah, I've got anxiety, I've got depression. And I've spoken to celebrities in the past who go, oh yeah, um, sorry, I've spoken to celebrity PRs in the past who said, yeah, yeah, they can talk about depression, anxiety. And I said, oh, well, have they got it? Well, not really, but you know, they sometimes get a bit sad and upset. And there's a very clear line yeah. being low, being sad and actually being depressed. And I think the term of depression is if it's a prolonged period of time of feeling low, that's mm -hmm. not just a one-off. Because I will have, especially during lockdown, I had moments and it was kind of every seven weeks and I still kind of get it now. I had it a couple of weeks ago and it's usually on a Sunday night that my brain just goes into meltdown and I'll stop and I'll go, I feel really lonely. I'm, I don't know what's going on. And I, and, mm. it, and that's being low. That's not depression. And that's not being depressed. It's just a low moment. Right. And I need to ride the tide. And I also know that I will come out the other side, but it will take a couple of days, but it's like a grieving process. You've got to go down and then you'll come up again. Whereas for yourself, when it's depression and it's prolonged, you don't feel like there's an ending to that. You can't see that light under the tunnel. That's for me what the difference is. Is that right? It is exactly that. So, you know, the issue is now is that mental health is such a buzzword now and people are using it in different ways. You know, I've got mixed feelings about it because part of me feels like, isn't it great that we're all talking about it now? And the other half of me feels like it's sort of being used as a trendy buzzword sometimes because ultimately I'm somebody who has a genuine diagnosis and genuine condition that affects my daily life. And there are millions of others that are impacted in similar situations to me. But yeah, you know, in the real scheme of life, it's not easy to get help. It's not easy to get support. But on social media and according to TV programs or news or certain things that we see or hear on the radio and TV that, you know, oh, I've got depression, I've got anxiety, I've got bipolar. Oh, it's just really... It, you know, I struggle with it. I really do struggle with it because I tell you what, if you're struggling right now and you try and go and get some help, it's not as quick and easy as, as what you think. It's not like there's no magic wand and somebody goes, oh, here, here's a system. Get into this and we'll help you with that. Actually, no, I had to, you know how I got diagnosed, Johnny? I had to write a suicide note to my GP because apparently I'm so articulate and I can explain my feelings and thoughts so well that there's no way that I had bipolar. I actually must have had depression and just keep taking these medi this medicine. That's all it is. Keep taking this antidepressants. 
said my GP. Now, my behavior was going left. And you know how I realized I had bipolar? Because it was never anything on my radar. I didn't know what bipolar was eight years ago before I was diagnosed. I learned it because of Stacey Slater in EastEnders. <laughs> you know, she had been diagnosed years prior in the show. And I, in my mania, because I went from very severely depressed to manic, what felt like overnight. And in my mania, although I was doing, inverted commas, the craziest things, I remembered the Stacey Slater story. And everything she was doing in her character, I was doing it. And I remember saying to family, friends, my parents, you know, my partner at the time, the doctors, and everyone's going, no, 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 you know. Culturally, like I said, my parents have completely changed now. And they'll hold their hands up. They're brilliant now. But 10 years ago, they were like, don't say things like that. That's, you know, don't, don't, it was like almost like a shame thing. Like, you can't say things like that. You're putting something on you as if, you know, it was a spiritual thing as well. It's like, it was like, so that was a no-no. They're totally supportive right now, thank goodness. My own GP was just like, no. So one day, again, I was totally suicidal. My friend had to talk me down from an eight-story window. And I knew then, you know, again, two sides of me. The one side knew I didn't want to end my life. I didn't. But I was so tired. I was so tired. I just, I was tired of hurting. I was tired of being tired. I was tired of being confused. I was tired of not getting the help when I've been asking for help. And there are many people who ask for help, don't get it. There are many people who don't ask for help because they don't know what's going on. Either way, you're not getting the help. And that day I was desperate and I've been to the doctor so many times to ask for help that she just kept saying, take the antidepressants. So that day I, I wrote the suicide note and I said, please, you have to help me today. If you don't help me today, that's it. I know what I'm going to do. And they had to help me at that point because I put it in writing. I put it there for them. They, they had to. Uh, subsequently, an ambulance came, took me and I was begging them, please put me in a, in a mental ward. You need to lock me up. You, I was begging them begging them. I was so afraid of myself. I was so impulsive. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what I was capable of because I was not in control of myself. And it was like looking at myself from across the street. I couldn't touch myself. I couldn't do anything, but I was just doing whatever the heck I wanted to do. And that was scary. But I also knew that I, I, I was putting myself in danger and that at any moment, either I would you know, I do things like just cross the road in the middle of traffic, just impulsively, because, hey, I cannot explain to you why. I'd also do things like, Tom, right, today, okay, this is, let's make a plan of how you're going to take your life. So by the time I got to the hospital that day, and that's how it kind of, I got into the system, but it still took about two months before I was sat before a psychiatrist getting diagnosed. That was still two months of <laughs> anything could happen here. You know, still two months of hanging on. And the minute he saw me, he said, look, machines break. He heard of just a bit of my story, you know, all my jobs and my career up until, I don't know, my 20s. And he just said, you're bipolar. But I tell you what, if you don't come off these antidepressants, you're going to turn psychotic and it's going to be worse. But those antidepressants were very addictive. You can't just come off them overnight like that. So that was another battle that I had to go through, was battling to go cold turkey in a way to come off antidepressants 
to then get onto this medication for my bipolar that was going to make me less manic. So that in itself was awful. And I just remember the psychiatrist really having a go, not in a bad way, but speaking to me really strongly because it was hard for me to come off those antidepressant medication because every time I didn't take it, it was making my head spin. It was making me feel ill. But actually, it was slowly turning me psychotic. It was so dangerous. But thank God I wrote that note when I did because it would be a different story. Again, a trigger warning. If you're affected by what you've heard, bipolaruk.org is where you can find out more information about being bipolar and also see the samaritans.org.uk. Call them 116123 if you need any advice. Both two websites to go and check out any of the signs that Leah has just spoken about. The hard thing is, I've worked for a mental health hospital and I've, uh, you know, I was booking the patients in, etc. And it would be six month waiting list, and that's just to get that initial assessment. And then after that, then right. two, three months wait before you can even be seen and start getting it into that list. Now, the problem yeah. you said is you've got to be at the bottom. And the problem is that a lot of people know that they're going through the motions and they need the help, but six months a year is too long to wait. And then you go to extreme measures and you do sometimes think, oh, do you know what? Maybe I should just take my life because if a therapist doesn't care about me, then who cares about me? You know, it doesn't matter what happens. Mm -hmm. What kept you grounded? What kept you going? I need to stay alive. What were you living for? What a good question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that in this way. I wasn't living for anything. That's the thing. There was nothing... Even though I loved my family, I loved my nephews, I knew all the things that I loved, but I didn't feel like I was loved back by anything. I felt completely alone in the world. I felt overlooked. My career, that was my baby. You know, I'd made life decisions. I chose not to, you know, necessarily go this way or have a family. I have to, because I was so focused on my career and all the things that, I've wanted to do since a kid, you know, hey, like, like we said in part one, I'm in this girl band and this is going to be my life and it doesn't turn out that way. And so here I am now proving in this second life, in this second career, and then being overlooked because of the color of my skin or my gender and things like that. And so at that point, it had turned me like, you know, for use of a better term, a bit, you know, a bit skew if, and I was holding on, but I don't know what I was holding on for. So your question is so thought provoking and, and I will try and answer now, but it will stay with me. I'll let you know now that that will stay with me for a while. I will want to get to the bottom of that. What a great question, because I don't know. I think on one side, spiritually, I am a believer. I just feel like I was being kept alive in a way. I had the right, some, some good people around me. I tried, you know, like I said, I tried. I tried to quit. I tried to quit the career. I tried to quit myself. And um, I still managed to hold on. And I just, I don't know, maybe just divine intervention. I don't know. I don't know. But all I know is I held on. And then somewhere in there, somewhere as the years went on, there was little glimmers of hope every now and then. Well, maybe. And remember, it's very up and down. So... I could be doing nothing and suddenly get a call that, hey, Leah, my, I'm, an, I'm a producer of something. And my friend, who's another producer, has worked with you. We heard you're a great presenter and we'd like to 
hire you to go and do a red carpet or to do a show or to do this. And those little things would keep me going because it meant that somebody cares, somebody could see my talent, somebody likes me. But then here I am talking to my GP and my GP is saying, I'm far too articulate to have mental illness. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? So somebody has to go into a doctor's surgery with their knickers on their head, so to speak, and, you know, be chatting absolute gibberish to be suffering. I suffered for so many years and I believe because I've now heard so many other stories of people who write to me, they go through the same thing too. You see yourself on this scale going down and down and down and it's like you can't do anything about it and you can't get help. And if you are fighting for help, I mean, you really got to fight. Not everyone has that fight in them. And I look back and go, I don't even know where that fight came from, from in me half the time. I don't even know. I can't even explain it to you. And naturally as well, Johnny, I don't necessarily want to talk about this stuff. I don't want anybody to listen to this and feel depressed or feel triggered or feel bad. It's not natural to me to want to share or air my dirty laundry. I want to instinctively say to you, life has always been great. I've worked so hard and look at me now. But that's not the truth. I feel like it's important to, in this space that I'm in right now with you and anyone listening, to tell the truth and to be honest, because maybe it might, it might help. It might just help somebody. It, might, it could be the difference of somebody suffering in silence or fighting for themselves and fighting for what they deserve, and that's to live a life without mental illness doesn't even need to be a person that's keeping you back. You said, you know, you, you're around your niece and nephews and your loved ones and you didn't feel loved by anyone. It, it can be as simple as, I just want to have another Chinese takeaway or I want to watch that program on TV. You know, it, it's just something. And this is the biggest thing I like in lockdown. It's just having something. It doesn't matter what, if it's a person, if it's mm. food, if it's an item, it's just having something that makes you happy. And we all experience happiness in different ways, but it's an emotion that we have to have. You've got to find happiness in something and everyone can find it in something. And it's interesting what you said about how you didn't look like the stereotype of someone who has mental health. And I think that's why Stephen Fry was just so impactful back in 2005, 2006 time saying, I've got depression. It isn't what you see because people suffer in silence and we know how much the suicide rates have gone up. We know that people aren't talking about it. We know that although we're putting mental health at the forefront of campaigns, of having lessons in schools, about opening up that conversation, having a podcast like this, and there's many podcasts like Happy Place with Fern Cotton, like Kate Thornton's White Wine Question Time, that give the platform for people to talk about their mental health. And yet there's still this line where we see it's not acceptable to open up about it. We still see it's not acceptable to talk about our own feelings, and yet, the only person that doesn't like it is ourselves. We're still not comfortable in our own skin to talk about it, yet everyone is ready there to listen to you. Do you know what, though, as well? I, I, I like the fact that there are more podcasts and there are more people talking about this stuff. But again, there's a line to it. That, to me, is like the kind of commercial happy place, the general public. What about people who really go through it? I feel like, because I know, because I remember writing to charities, I remember writing to TV programs, and I remember saying, look, I'm willing to tell my story in order to help others. Can we collab? Can we do something? And the answers were always no, because it's not a quick fix. It's not a makeover. 
can't make it into a 10 minute segment. Sorry. Oh, you're not famous enough. So we need to find somebody who's a bit more famous who could talk about bipolar. I mean, it's just, to me, it's ridiculous. So whilst I like the fact that there's these other platforms, I would like to see more taking place or being showcased where it's just a bit more real, where it could actually help people like myself who suffer, because there are millions of us who suffer bipolar, millions of us, and people now say mental health as a, they don't realize that mental health is something we all have and we all should strive for. It's mental illness is what I want to talk about. Let's talk about mental illness. Nobody wants to talk about mental illness. They want to talk about mental health, thinking that that's what we're, we're not talking about that. Mental illness is the ugly side that nobody still actually wants to talk about. Mental health we want to talk about because it's kind of trendy right now. So there are loads of podcasts and there are campaigns on the TV and certain networks are saying, let's do this, let's talk about that. But they talk about mental health in a very commercial, lovely way, in a way. But they're not talking about mental illness. They're not getting their hands dirty. We're not getting down to the nitty gritty. We're not saying how, how hard it is actually to get help when you need it because there's no quick fix and there's no makeover show you can make out of it. Well, actually there is. I've got an I would love to do a different type of makeover show where, you know, we work with people over say a year from, you know, life after diagnosis, like what I've done, ways of how I've changed my life, different experts I've spoken to, from literally conception, from the minute of diagnosis to getting better, it is a process, but I believe if there was a system in place and you could have the right people around you, that you could come on leaps and bounds, that your life could change for the better. It has for me, obviously. And whilst I don't deny that I don't have down days at times, of course I do. But I can manage my bipolar much better now than I could eight to 10 years ago when I was first getting the signs, you know, and before I was diagnosed. What happens with bipolar is that there's something called mania. And so that kicks in and that's like the yin to the yang. And that makes you feel very high, overactive. You're an insomniac. You're not sleeping, probably not eating at all. Um, I was living on like one boiled egg a day that my ex-partner was giving me because he could see I wasn't eating. He didn't know what was wrong with me, but he knew that. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'd eat one egg. So that's what I was doing. I didn't even realize I was eating anything, to be honest. I knew I wasn't sleeping. And so basically, you just get these different symptoms of, you know, mind range from things like the extreme highs, obviously, then you could go to extreme lows. I was manically spending. I didn't even have money, but I'd be like going on eBay and just buying stuff or getting myself into auctions just for the buzz, just for the thrill. I wanted to party. I wanted to, I just want to, you know, there's nothing wrong with partying, obviously, but if you go from somebody who's a complete homebody or you were completely depressed for months and months and months and months and hadn't left the house, because there was a point where I didn't leave my house for a year. I was depressed, severely depressed, right? Overweight on this medication was just in a really bad way. And then overnight, I was just like, you know, went from that sort of guilty, low depression feeling that, you know, those suicidal thoughts, the feeling of sadness, hopelessness, irritable, all of that stuff, to then suddenly happy, elated. I was just like full of energy, full of ideas and um, very important plans you know but also easily distracted and um, still agitated um just illogical not eating not sleeping all that type of stuff like I was just my pattern was just all over the place it was really it was quite dangerous and like I said doing impulsive things like I'd be walking along the street and just say I'll just jump in front of those cars see what would happen like why I couldn't explain it to myself and then I'd equally go from that to like that evening. I remember one time just being on the floor screaming in pain. And that was the pain from my brain because my brain had had enough. And when you're ill, when you're depressed, when you're going through mental illness of any kind, it affects your body. Your whole body is like it's shutting down. Your whole body is at a whim to your mind. So it's not just a case of, oh, I feel depressed in my mind. No, my body is aching. I can't even stand up and brush my teeth. Do you know how hard that was? To just stand up at a sink and brush my teeth? I'd be in my pajamas for, I wouldn't say days, I'm talking weeks, weeks. It, it was just, oh, it was awful. It was awful. So I just went from, from really low to really high, what seemed overnight. And that was scary in itself. 
So you get the diagnosis and does that become a form of acceptance? Does that all make sense to you now to go, right, I know why this has happened. I know why I can't brush my teeth properly. I know why I have these mood swings. I know why I want to be a bit eccentric. Does it help you to have a diagnosis or does it actually hinder you to go, well, now I'm different. Now I've got this label and now there's something else that is part of me that isn't just my career that's defining me now. That some people are going to look at me and go, well, she has got bipolar, not just she's a TV presenter or she's a musician, etc." Everything you just said is basically spot on. So I fought for that diagnosis, didn't I? I proved my GP wrong. I told you, GP, I told you. <laughs> you know, I told you I had bipolar. So I remember saying, I've got bipolar. I've seen, I've seen Stacey Slater in EastEnders. And she obviously just thought I was mad, pardon the pun. You know, she didn't take me on board. So when months and months later, when I did get the diagnosis, I was able to go back and I felt very vindicated to the GP, to my family, to any, everyone. Going, you see, I told you, I told you I had bipolar. And after that subsided, I was then mortified, absolutely mortified. The, the diagnosis in the beginning was a relief because I thought, oh, well, now I know what this is. Brilliant. I can overcome this now or I can get on with this or whatever it was in my mind. I felt relief. That's all I remember. But then after that, I felt shame. I felt stigma. I felt embarrassed. I was mortified. I thought, my goodness, people are just talking about depression now, only just. And now I'm going to come out and say I've got bipolar. Like, isn't that one of the worst? People are going to think I'm absolutely loopy. And so I carried this stigma around and nobody could stigmatize me more than I stigmatized myself. I was so embarrassed, so embarrassed. And that's why I just did not talk about it. Only close people around me knew. And I just didn't talk about it for eight years. But I felt like a fraud. So as I was getting better in a way, or as I started doing things like, it's like I would talk about it, but I'd talk about it in a palatable way. I'd never mentioned bipolar, but I started mentioning depression, like if I was asked to speak at events and things like that. I would start just sort of testing the waters almost. And I'd see people would react to that in a good way. But I'm going, I'm still a fraud because I'm not telling them the truth. The truth is I've got bipolar. There's no way I could tell these people because they're going to run away or they're going to treat me badly. I'd seen how I'd let some people in my life and when they would hear that I've got bipolar, they'd use it against me. Any little thing now, you're under the microscope. You have a bad day and suddenly, are you not taking your meds? Are you not, you know, you're, they're throwing it in your face. That in itself is dangerous because there's some bad people out there, some mean people out there who will use it against you. And there was a lot of people at different points in my life who did use my mental illness against me as a way of control. And I was just afraid of that if I opened up to the masses. But then I was tired of being tired. Like I said, I got to a stage where one day I woke up and I said, enough's enough. And I felt like so many of my mates who had come out to me as gay before they came out to the world, that's the only way that I could relate to it. And I remember they come out to me and say, Lee, I just feel like you're the only person that would understand because they knew my secret. And that inspired me. And one day I felt like that and I just felt, you know what? Today is the day I'm going to be unapologetically, authentically myself. Forget everyone, forget them. Because me holding this in is stopping me from propelling to the next step. It's stopping me from being me. 
I'm acting and I'm, then I'm coming home and, you know, I'm living a lie. I don't like this. And so, yeah, I came out and that changed my life. That then removed all the chains because it was in the open then. And I still get afraid I'll be judged now. Of course I do. As I'm talking to you now, I'm like, oh, shut up, Leah, just shut up. You've said enough. <laughs> but, you know, there's also that part of me that wants to fight, not for myself at this point, it's for others, because I know there are so many other people suffering. So many, it's so hard. It really is, and also you've got that problem that you don't want to be in the TV world as a freelance presenter, that's you know going from job to job to job for people to go well look you've got bipolar we can't trust you in front of the camera or you've got bipolar it's not worth having someone who's got mental health issues and yet you've got a background in doing unscripted tv for doing you know just tv where you're just filling in the time you know you're literally for hours on end to keep a show going without a script which you did on late night tv and yet suddenly you're being judged because you've got a mental health condition those two go right Spot on. So how did you find post having that diagnosis, post talking about it, post now accepting it yourself, because that's the most hardest thing is accepting it yourself, not necessarily by other people, but yourself accepting it, and then trying to get new TV jobs in the career that you love, the career you've been building up for years and years and years, climbing that ladder. Do you know what? I got to a point, I think it was last year, it was actually post since the pandemic I think the whole pandemic thing really changed something in me um and just what happened in the world the whole George Floyd the Black Lives Matter all of that stuff now I wasn't out there protesting in the streets I support the movement I don't support the necessarily the the political thing but I support the message of Black Lives Matter let's make that very clear and, and obviously I've been a victim of it all my life, but I've been a victim of it in the industry. Um, as I said, in part one, I'd sat in front of execs and they said to me in the nicest way possible, Leah, you're like one of the best presenters around, but you're black and black doesn't sell. So we can't give you those, those opportunities. So I had that in my face. It's not a story or stories that have been made up. It is what it is. And like I said, nobody said it to me in a cruel way. They thought that they were actually helping me and, be really open and nice, but what they didn't realize was that they were adding to my pending nervous breakdown. <laughs> you know, because what on earth can I do about the color of my skin? And why would I want to do anything about that? I'm a proud woman, proud black woman. Like it is what it is. Um, but there was something that triggered something during the, the last couple of years. And it was more the world and the movement of the world and how we were able to now talk about this thing that as black people, we're not really allowed to talk about because if you do, there's going to be somebody somewhere like, oh, look at her with her chip on her shoulder. Oh, playing the race card. Oh, the black card. So I just never, if you look through the history of my career, I, you know, and there's plenty of it to, to, to Google. I've never spoken out about, black um issues or issues uh, in the uk of being a black person but when that came out last year i thought you know what here's an opportunity for me to to speak and for me to share my truth and i did i did a little video and it went a little bit viral online i told the story about going to all the execs and how they tell me no because black doesn't sell 
And to be honest, I didn't do it for effect. I didn't do it for anything. I did it for me. I did it because I wanted to be stood and heard and accounted for. Other people have been talking out and I felt like, again, it was my duty. Why not? I'd already been talking about my mental health stuff. And I just felt like at this point, I may never work again. So who am I hiding? Who am I protecting? <laughs> you know, at that stage, there was no place in the sun on the horizon. There was nothing. We were in a pandemic. There was no work. Jackpot 24-7 had ended the year before. So I didn't really, you know, I was doing bits and pieces as you do. But I had a few voiceovers here, a few things keeping me going. But I had nothing. I may never work again. So who am I protecting? Leah, speak your story. And I did. And again, it impacted. And um, again, not mentioning any names because I, I, I wasn't being antagonistic, but I wanted to get it off my chest. I'd held on to it for so long. And, and those experiences directly, directly, you know, affected me mentally. And those things directly helped towards giving me a, a, a mental breakdown, as I said, and why I was diagnosed with bipolar in the end. I can't blame those execs equally as I can't blame the music industry. I can't blame the media business for overlooking me. Or I can't, do you know what I mean? I think it's amalgamation of things as to why I'm bipolar. How long is a piece of string? It is what it is. I'm not blaming anyone. Nobody's to blame. It's my life. It's the cards I've been dealt with. And you know what? Now is part of my purpose, isn't it? And I'm going to use it for good. So what was meant for bad can now be for good, right? But I just came out and I spoke about it and I felt empowered. And I just thought I may never work again. So at this point, I've got nothing to lose. So there I was just being honest, but definitely going through the pandemic, seeing that movement, seeing people speak boldly and openly. And now I don't feel this kind of fear of, I can't speak about these things. Because I tell you what, Johnny, if this was three years ago, four years ago, I wouldn't tell you half the stuff that I've told you in this podcast. No way, no way. I just wouldn't because I wouldn't want people to think I'm bringing up the black black thing. I bring, you just can't talk about those things unless you're looking for trouble. Now I don't care because this is the truth, this is my life. And not only am I saying it, but millions of people across the world are also saying the same thing. So you know what, thank you. And I'm glad that I'm able to speak boldly about the two things that are stigmatizing and that is race and mental illness. Well, I can't thank you enough for that, honestly. Uh, and, you know, honesty and candidness, it inspires people because it makes people then start their own conversation and check their unconscious biases and then actually put different, you know, different steps into being a better person because that's all we want to do in the world is to be better people. But we need to know what we're doing wrong to get to that stage. And sometimes our unconscious bias doesn't allow us to do that. So thank you for that. And, you know... You've come out the other side, as you said, you've come out, you've got a new job, which is very, very exciting. And 2021 is really becoming your year, which I presume, uh, if I mind saying that, you know, 10 years ago, you would never have thought would be on the horizon. Oh, gosh, no. Honestly, 10 years ago, I'd given up at that point, for sure. I was just in so much pain. I was walking around with, you know, an invisible noose around my neck. It was awful. So to think that 10 years on, to have held on this long and, you know, they say every dog has its day. <laughs> maybe they do. And maybe my time has come. I mean, this is great, 2021, but actually, do you know what? I think 2022 is going to be my year. 
That's what I'm predicting. <laughs> we all go down, this is my year, this is my year. It's my first year for next year, this is my year. I was made, I've been waiting for I'm like Adele. Um, so let's talk about the place in the sun now. So it's such a fantastic lineup, And also it's one of those shows that, you know, Channel 4 are amazing because they've got very good staple shows that come down for me, four in a bed, that just go. You know, you can just keep watching it. You don't really know what you're watching, but it just works. And A Place in the Sun has done that same thing. It started off really slow and it's just there. It's got such an, a, a core fan base that idolised the show. It's never trying to be this big show that's flagship on Channel 4, that's prime time in the evening. It's a show that just works and it just gives you that escapism. And so how do you feel being part of such an iconic show that's just there? It's not trying to be something that it's not. Well, <laughs> that show has been a staple in my family home for the last 21 years. I mean, can you believe A Place in the Sun has been going for 21 years for a start? <laughs> Everything you said about it is so true. It's just one of those formats that work and it just keeps going and keeps going. My parents love, particularly my dad, that's his show. Um, he never misses one. He's watched every single one. <laughs> he records them all. So you could imagine now me being part of it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. There's someone different for everyone. So there might be some people that doesn't like, you know, that don't like my flavor. But I just like to bring a bit more of the entertainment factor. Obviously, my background is entertainment presenting. It's live presenting. So everything as I'm doing the show, it's very live. It's very um, reactive. It's very in the moment. But um what I do really like about it is the fact that I'm genuinely helping people to find a better life of what they want to achieve their dreams. Every time I was really ill, I would go to St. Lucia to my grandmother, God rest her soul. She passed away suddenly last year. That was really difficult. But she was my escapism. Going to St. Lucia, going to our house was the escapism for me. And so meeting these couples, bringing them to their happy places and helping them to get a little bit or a lot of what I have in my homes in the Caribbean just means so much because it's for a better quality of life for them, for their families. And it's just so nice to be part of somebody else's dream and to be part of making that happen. My first couple, they named their house after me. They called it Casalia. That's an exclusive. I haven't told anyone yet. I was told not to tell anybody, but I'm telling you, Johnny. So they named the house Casalia. That's never been done before in 21 years on A Place in the Sun. I don't think anyone's had a house named after them. Um, somebody's named a flamingo after me for their garden. A street is being named after me, I've been told, because now I just so happen to have sold three houses in the same street. <laughs> so now they're changing the name of the street. I mean, I don't know if this has happened to other presenters before, but it's happening to me and I'm like, to me, it blows my mind. I'm just like, look, I'm just here genuinely trying to help people in whatever way I can. I don't make all the decisions. It's a well-oiled machine. There's loads of people behind the scenes who make the show happen. But my whole, my part in this is holding this couple's hand and being their guide and looking after them on and off camera. They've stepped into the TV, they've stepped into their favorite show. So regardless of what's happening with me or what's happening with the production, they need to have the best time and I want to give them that and I want to be a part of that with them. And I guess that's why they're naming their houses after me or their streets after me or things like that because maybe there's some kind of impact. They feel happy at the time we spent together and so do I. 
and I move forward with such good positive energy and vibes that if I'm having a down day, those are the good things that I'm going to think about. That's amazing. That's amazing. And the lineup of presenters now is just, you know, it's so diverse, but it doesn't even need to be said. Apart from when, you know, Channel 4's Black to Front Day, it didn't do anything it wasn't already doing. It was already being diverse. And I think that's also something really important to point out mm. that it's not just a show that's gone right, we're going to be a tokenistic show, we're doing it just for tokenism. You're doing it all anyway, and you've been doing it for a very long time at that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was obviously before um, Black to Front Day went public or was announced, I was part of the Apix family before that anyway. Um, and I wasn't part of uh, Black to Front Day. So, you know, at the time I was a bit like, oh, this would be great, great way to be um, launched. But actually, in hindsight, I'm happy that it's like this because I get my own moment that I feel like after everything I deserve. Um, I didn't feel like I deserved a lot before. But actually, no, I'm going to say, yeah, I, I deserve this. I deserve to have my little day. I'm happy about that. And also, I'm even more happy that I was chosen not because of the colour of my skin. I've had many shows, many of them that are very public. I mean, Jackpot 24-7, I'd knocked on that door for quite some time. I'm just going to be honest here. And it was always a no, 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 we're full with presenters. The day the black guy left, I got the call. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And many things like that have happened in my career over the years. So it, this is nothing new to me. I knew that that black guy was going to have to go in order for me to get my chance. That's the sad reality of this industry. I'm not even going to hide away from that. That is the truth of the matter. And of course, I know this. So how does it make me feel? Not great, but I also accept that's just the way it is. It's no point me beating my chest, weeping and wailing, tearing my clothes, you know. <laughs> it's just no point. I have to live. I have to just keep it moving. What I love about A Place in the Sun, and they've all told me that there, all the execs, whatever, was I came in, first of all, they asked for a 20-second video. And I thought, what can you do in 20 seconds? Not much. Really, they just want to see my personality. I sent it, and it was a bit of a, 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 not a joke, but I was just typically leering it. I put a back screen of the Maldives, and all you heard was my voice at first going, hi, it's Leah Charles-King, and I'm here. And as you zoomed out, I was like, I'm in a studio in Edgeware Road, because I was. I was in jeans and a jumper. I was actually doing Mecca TV. I've been working that day with, I think, Bobby Norris from TOWIE and Jessin Piazzi, the actress, and we were just doing the little Mecca show that we do and uh, for Mecca Bingo. And, you know, I sort of did it very lighthearted because I thought there's nothing you could do in 20 seconds. They would just want to see my personality. And apparently that stood me out miles above. So by the time I got called for a screen test, that was out of 200 people, I think, who sent a 20 second video to now 12 people who were invited for a screen test. And I was told by all the execs that I stood out a mile. I was the best person for the job and they picked me and that was it. And that's nice to know. It had nothing to do with my colour. They already got Scarlett, who I know and love. They already got Jean. You know, Lee has also joined the show. So they didn't need to add any more black faces, if that's what, you know, anyone wants to throw in there. No, they didn't. They chose me just because, finally, I was being seen. Finally. They were like, she's great. And that warms my heart because I always knew that was the case. I just needed to be seen by the right person at the right time. My talent has never been in question. 
not even I've questioned my talent because I've, I've always felt I had to work triple hard because of the color of my skin in order so that if somebody says, oh, you can't have this job, you can't have that opportunity, they can never say that I wasn't talented enough. It would always be the truth, which was, oh, you're black, it's not going to sell. So here we are. Well, here we are indeed. So let's bring this all together, Leo Charles Cohn. Final question. <laughs> Bringing together the acceptance of a place in the sun, acceptance that you're an amazing TV presenter, acceptance that you have got a diagnosis with bipolar, the acceptance that you have got a mental health issue, the acceptance that people want to hear from you, that you're there to inspire everyone. What do you do now with all that acceptance? So you said 2022 is going to be your year. What are you planning to do with all that acceptance that you've got and more? <laughs> you're so good by the way Johnny you're really good you know can I just big you up I love the way you formulate your questions and they're so interesting and they, they make me think this is almost like a therapy session so thank you if, anyone, if anyone's been listening to both parts of this then God bless you <laughs> that's all I can say well, you know, I hope I'm a say that again that two hours about four episode lengths this episode <laughs> Oh my God, I'm so sorry, Johnny. Wow, that's so deep, you know. I never thought of it before. You're right, it's acceptance. You know, my family and friends, they, one of the words they use to describe me is crazy, but in the nicest way possible. There's no offense there. I am fun and funny, but also I could be very serious, as we've heard, and talk about serious issues. But acceptance that you've just put forward to me, wow, I didn't even think about it. Maybe that's something I need to write and put on my wall and look at every day and, and, you know, really kind of think about. Do I feel accepted? Am I accepted? That's a really good question. I think only time will tell. 2022 is what I'm coining my years because 22 are my angelic numbers. 22 are numbers that I've been seeing now for the last couple of years. Two, two. I'm just more curious of how it's going to work out. I thought maybe this would have been the year, but no, then it became very clear that 22, as if people believe in all of that stuff. But like I said, I don't know myself, so let's just see. But let's see if next year I'm accepted. I still feel like there's a way to go. I still feel like I am halfway up the mountain, but then to get to the top can literally happen overnight. I feel like whatever happens with me next could be really super fast because I've put in all the work. I've been in the industry now, the TV and music industry for over 36 years at this point. I'm still young, you know? And <laughs> I've been through all of this. And, and what we've talked about in, in space of a couple of hours over a couple of episodes are just bits and pieces. There's just so much I can say and share, but they're just bits and pieces. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. But you know what? I've got hope and I'm looking forward more than I've ever looked forward for a very long time. I can't wait to see what happens. I hope good things happen for me because so many bad things happened for so many years. Rather than putting myself down, which is what I did for a very long time and said I'm not good enough and blamed myself, cried and felt bad and felt like rubbish. I'm now just going to embrace it all. Good things happen to good people. I'm not a bad person. I wish well for you and for others and for myself. So I'm just going to, with an open heart, see what 2022 brings. And I'm looking forward.
Leah Charles King there. Blazing Sun airs on all four and Channel 4. Do go and check it out. And what an amazing lady Leah is. And it's true, you don't ever know if you really do feel accepted. And I think sometimes with acceptance, it's actually at the end of your life. I think that's where you fully come comfortable with yourself because otherwise, what are you striving for? You've got to always be striving for something and you will only totally accept yourself at the end of the life that you live. That's my personal opinion, but you might differ differently. Now, listen, if you have been affected by what you hear, please just take a second to look at bipoluk.org, also samaritans.org.uk, call them on 116123. Two websites I urge you to look at because we've spoken about some really, really, really sensitive issues in this episode. And I can't thank Leah enough for being open about it. It's very hard to come out and say something in the first place. And it's enough to actually talk about it. Because sometimes we can wear it as a label, but we don't want to be invasive. Don't ask me anything. I'm telling you as it is. But to actually dig deeper is really hard because you, you start opening that can of worms. And if you open that can of worms, questions get asked. And they don't just get asked to you. You actually ask them about yourself, and that's where the paranoia comes, because then you're searching for an answer that just does not exist. So, samaritans.org.uk, bipolaruk.org, please do check out those websites. You've been listening to Security and Security with me, Johnny Secret. It's been a long episode, but God, I have learned so much, and I hope you have too. If you have, please do share it with your friends, share it on your social media channels, tag at Johnny Secret, at Leah Charles King, at Security and Secure Podcast, on Instagram and on Twitter. And then... Go on to Apple iTunes. Go down on the podcast app. So if you've ever listened on Spotify, go on to iTunes. This is such an important episode. I really, really, really want other people to find out about it because they can learn and there might be something that they can actually take away and actually seek medical help from. So give it a five-star rating and then leave a review. Just say what you thought about it. Be honest. It doesn't matter if you haven't got a mental health issue, but you enjoyed hearing from Leah, or you're a massive fan of hers. I am a massive fan of hers. That's what I'd be writing. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.